This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Welcome to another episode of A Sunday Kind of Love. I'm Maya Tan, the coming out episode. On today's show, we've got some fun ideas for things you can come out to do in our fair city of Kuala Lumpur. And while coming out with the truth is an experience that is as dreaded as it is liberating, our resident couch potatoes Christina Oro and Edwin Sumun look at some amazing moments of truth in film. And it's time once again for our monthly beauty review. So if you're going to be coming out to play, whether it's day or night, you'll want to look your best with lavish lashes. And we have a new beauty reviewer debuting today, Fluffy, our in-house makeup junkie. But first, a true-to-life look at the secrets we keep. Here's someone who had to have four moments of truth coming out to his parents for four very different reasons. Hi, uh, my name is uh, Pang Kitek. I'm uh, an organizer of art and activist uh, events, and I had to come out four times to my parents. The first time I came out, I was studying in Singapore, and in Singapore, my friend invited me to a church. Uh, subsequently, I became a Christian at the age of 14, and I kept that from my parents for a long time because I knew that my father. I wouldn't say that he's a staunch Buddhist, but we, our family identify as Buddhists. Yeah? Or as most uh, Chinese families are in Malaysia, they believe in a mix of uh, different Chinese uh, philosophies from Taoism to Buddhism to Confucianism. So it's, it's just a kind of a mix of all this. Like, but he was quite staunchly anti-Western uh, religion. So when uh, I became a Christian, I knew that he would be against it and I didn't tell it to him for a long time. They say when it rains, it pours. Not only was Pang away from his family and already feeling a little bit lost and alienated, he was also being bullied at school and holding on to the secret that he was a Christian. At the same time, Pang began discovering something else about himself. I was finding out that I like guys. I was developing a very strong attraction to the guys in my hostels and this really disturbed as well as made me feel very terrible about myself. Perhaps also because of the growing awareness of my desires and the awareness more to the point that my desires do not conform to social expectations of a guy. That made me very afraid of uh, letting people know who I am. And I guess this is why the church was very uh, appealing a, a place because I felt very welcome, very at home. But then on the, at the same time, the church also really made me really ashamed of my sexuality and made me really want to be one of them, one of the normal ones, you know, arms raised to heaven and embraced as one of the flock. So I, I guess uh, I poured myself into, the, into church a lot, you know, and I, I spent a lot of time there because I thought that would help me to become normal so the first coming out I did was to my father as a Christian and I and I knew uh, that my father was not going to be happy and, and I was right you know he was not very happy about it and in fact two years after coming out to him 
uh, would have finished uh, junior college in Singapore and he asked me to come back to Malaysia so that I can continue my studies in uh, Malaysia where he would have stopped me from going to church. So I stayed with him in KL and he stopped me from going to church. After more than a year of that, I, I couldn't take it anymore. And this was the reason. The last year I was in Singapore, I actually joined a Christian ministry that promised to help me overcome my homosexuality. They gave me the hope that I would become normal. And, and I believe that and I really wanted desperately for that to happen. And, and you know, when at that age, right, whatever promise I had in my talents or my skills or my knowledge uh, was secondary like, to the goal of becoming normal. So I spent a lot of time in my youth actually trying to be uh, straight. All my energy, you know, was poured into that, you know, going to church, praying, going to the youth meetings. And I would say that my career took a kind of a backseat. Yeah, and, um, and that's one of the reasons why I really was a very late bloomer in that way. I was so afraid of uh, coming out into the world as well. I mean, I was afraid that the world is going to corrupt me or people are going to find out who I really am and, uh, and turn me away. So I wanted to be normal and this uh, ministry offered me that hope. And so when my father stopped me from going to church, it also cut me off from that hope, you see. You know, of that community So I had to come out to my father a second time Which is that I said to him Look, I'm gay And that's the reason why I really need to go to church Because they have showed that You know, through prayers and through uh, all that I can overcome this uh, part of me So you have a choice Do you want me to be gay or Christian? And so my father, of course uh, Was quite, uh, I mean I, I prepared him quite in advance for what I was going to say. So I guess he he slowly came to realise that difficult choice before him as well as me. I said, look, I want to be Christian and I don't want to be gay. So so I'm going to go back to church. I didn't I didn't give him the choice. Basically, I said, I will go back to church. Holy, holy, holy so I did. I went back to church. Um, but after many more years of the same, right, praying and... Uh, fellowshipping and fasting and crying to God and crying and crying and crying I realised that I was becoming more miserable I was not becoming more straight but just more miserable and that I hated myself so much I felt that I, all that I could contribute was just you know focus on bringing uh, my gifts so to speak yeah, to the church where I was also asked to conform to what the church wants you know um, I mean, I was writing the Easter musical for my church. Um, and I was also... I mean, this was also around the same time as Reformacy and all that. Like, so I, I was a bit influenced by all that. And I included sometimes rather political or philosophical ideas into the script. And they'll all be taken out, right? Because they said they just want something simple so that people could, you know, uh, rededicate their lives to God. Right? So, of course, uh, I, it made me really aware that the church was a space like a microcosmos of the government, yeah? Uh, and they value conformity. When the church rejected him, Pang became really depressed, self-destructive in his habits and thought patterns. But just in time, he met a circle of people from the art scene, including activist Tony Kasim, who made him feel comfortable about himself, who didn't judge him for wanting to be straight, and who told him that he didn't really have to struggle so hard as really there were bigger problems in the world. 
one of the things that I guess uh, I, I really learned from Tony Kasim was when she talked about you know the injustices that we face in this country that are embedded within the system that allows for all this discrimination and inequality it made me aware that actually I have been very selfish and greedy by focusing just on my problems that just looking inward and just looking at how I can solve my problem and burying my head in my problems made it possible for the system to remain the way it is for the injustices to go on unnoticed you know and that therefore I'm partly complicit in the problems of the country and I realised that actually I have the ability to fight that so I had to come up to my parents again you know and I said to my parents look um, the good news is I'm no longer Christian also a good news to me but maybe you wouldn't think so is that I've decided to stop struggling against my, myself against who I am and that uh, I'm going to be I'm going to try to see what it means to be gay I'm going to see what's so wrong with love Pang's father was clearly not happy with that. Do you mean you want me to try to find a woman who will marry me and then for the rest of my life shut up my heart, suppress my feelings, be miserable for the rest of my life and then subsequently make her, the person I marry, miserable as well and if we have children, make them miserable as well? Do you mean to say that it will take so much unhappiness to make you happy? How much unhappiness will it take for you to be happy? I asked my father. He has no answer for that. And he, I think I, I made him realise that, you know, that he had, his, he had his chance at his life and now it's my turn. And that he doesn't have to be unhappy for me and that, you know, he can share my happiness. And, and if he does that, then we'll all be happy together. Pang's parents knew to some extent about his involvement in counselling and working on issues with the LGBT communities, but not how active he really was. So, when Sexuality Murdeka, a human rights initiative, was banned, he was outed a fourth time. My parents received a call from my cousin. Hey, auntie, uncle, you know your son is wanted by the police? <laughs> so that was, uh, that was not quite the way I was thinking of coming out as an activist so I was uh, so I had to talk to them about it and they weren't happy you know because they were telling me look we accepted you as who you are already why don't you just go and be happy but be quiet about it you know because it's not something that everybody can accept it's not normal just be quiet then I said but why do I have to be quiet about it why do I have to be afraid what kind of a country makes me live in fear all the time when I don't think I'm doing anything wrong and, and, and I said, look, I'm doing this because I want to help people. I want to tell people that even though my parents at one point didn't understand it, there was a way and a process, a way of talking to them that helped them to understand. And now I have parents who really accepted me. I want to give hope to other people. And in fact, all around Malaysia, I told my parents, all around Malaysia, I keep getting phone calls and news of parents who are beating their children up when they find out they're LGBT, who are throwing them out on the streets. I mean, what kind of a country throw children on the streets? Uh, the reason I'm doing this is so that, you know, families heal and families uh, stay as families, yeah? Um, because when I was young, you all told me that it was important to help people when, when, uh, when you can. 
And then my, then my mother said, no, 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 no. What we meant was, if you go on the street and you see a beggar there and they look really bad and poor, you just give them some money, you know, just so that, you know, they can survive for another day. Then I said, but what if I can change the system so that there'll be no beggars? Isn't that better? Isn't that helping more people? Pang also realised that coming out should be a shared, concerted effort with parents because they themselves will face peer disapproval or social ramifications. I guess uh, the, the tricky thing is to help them, to put them in my shoes, lah, yeah? but also to appreciate their situation. Um, because I think a lot of times when people come out, they forget that I think parents also, uh, the parents are not the enemies, lah, right? And sometimes we make the mistake of thinking of the parents as the enemies. They, because they themselves are also subject to social pressures and, and fears of alienation from their friends and their relatives and all that. Right? So sometimes we have to, when coming, when coming out to them, we also have to think about of us doing it together in that sense. Yeah. In the process of coming out, Pang also realised that parents would be feeling the burden of guilt. What if they caused their child to be gay? Now I know to celebrate uh, parenthood as uh, its own school of mistakes. There's no such thing as perfect parenthood. So I told my parents, I said, look, whatever you think you did wrong, it was okay because look how, I mean, I, I think I'm turning out alright now. Yeah? So I said, you know, take it easy. Together we can still grow as a family. Together we can still grow as, a, uh, as people of this country so that we are not afraid to be who we are and we are not afraid to claim the spaces that are available for us so that we keep coming out into it in different ways and keep coming out as citizens, we come out as Malaysians. Yeah. Many thanks to Panky Tik for his heartwarming coming out story. Up next, Tasha Fusil and I are going to get you to come out and play, get out of the house and enjoy some of the better things you could be doing in our fair city of Kuala Lumpur. A Sunday Kind of Love's coming out episode returns after this on BFM 89.9. This is a Sunday kind of love. Welcome back to the coming out episode. I'm Maya Tan. Up next, Tasha Fusil and I are going to get you to come out and play with some fun things you can do in our fair city of Kuala Lumpur. First on the list, if you want to get out of the house and go somewhere fun, what is Art in the Park? <laughs> art in the Park is the first public art festival in Taman Tasik Perdana or Lake Gardens, the oldest and largest park in the city. From the 17th of October to Sunday the 2nd of November, a few Malaysian and regional artists have been invited to create sculptures and art installations based on the theme found in KL, inspired by the found objects and materials of the city. This reminds me of that 
exhibition that we talked about a few weeks yes, ago. Yes, the one that happened at Kakiseni. Except yes. they're taking it out onto Lake Gardens now. Which could be nice, yeah. It's a collaboration between KL City Hall and Cult Sundarian Berhad. Art in the Park will present a pioneer effort <laughs> well, not so pioneer. <laughs> to <Oops>. engage, <laughs> to engage the public with creativity in Kuala Lumpur and offer a unique way of presenting art to the public outside the museums and galleries. Yep, and in conjunction with art in the park, there are also several art programs. One of them is Art for Grabs on the weekend of Saturday the 18th and Sunday 19th October. Art for Grabs has been running since 2007. Yeah, we talked about the last one. Yeah, so they so they do tend to have it quite often then. Uh, several times a year, but okay. this year a little bit more often. <laughs> oh, awesome. Art for Grabs is the pioneering Kuala Lumpur art bazaar and mini arts fest with booths and events featuring arts and crafts, activism and ideas by all the creative minds in Malaysia. It's a great place to meet awesome folks and tap into a thriving community of Malaysians who aren't afraid to express themselves and to dialogue. Yeah, it's always good fun and their policy is that nothing is prized over a hundred ringgit. Nice. Yeah, but I think this time around they're giving uh, artists, you know, more license so you can price it up to a reasonable amount, you know, as long as it's not like 30,000 ringgit. Yeah, there's a time and place for that kind of art, I suppose, and this is not it. (laughs) Yeah, but what I'm also excited about is that at Art for Grabs, Buku Fixi, the folks who brought us several short story anthologies and novels by Malaysian writers, is launching their fourth installment of the KL Noir books, and this one is KL Noir Yellow. And uh, in so doing, on Saturday, 18th of October, from 6 to 7.30pm, there'll be readings under a canopy, where you can hear Malaysian stories read by their Malaysian author, Authors, their respective Malaysian authors and hopefully the weather will be kind um, it's also a great opportunity to buy all the other fixie books including KL Noir White which contains a little short story written by Moa Ooh. and uh, you know at 1995 it's it's really a steal you get to read also many other great Malaysian writers such as Brian Gomez Zedek Siu Dina Zaman Terence Doe Jimmy Cheng Nadia Khan many 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 more so go get acquainted with these talented voices the voices of our generation that's awesome and can you find these books books in, in MPH? Yes, you can. You can get them at MPH, Kinokuniya, major bookstores. Okay, cool. I'm definitely getting a copy. It's a whole series. Uh, so it's KL Noir, I think it was KL Noir Red, KL Noir White, KL Noir Blue, and now it's KL Noir Yellow. Fixie is famous for a number of other anthologies in English as well. There's Love and Longing in Penang. Oh. And uh, there are a few more interesting ones coming up next year. Cyberpunks is one, and Hungry in Ipoh, and uh, a Malaysian Singaporean anthology, so will be these will be good things to look out for. And while we're getting in touch with Malaysian writers, uh, you can also get acquainted with thirty three Malaysian artists at ABC, which stands for Appreciating, Buying, and Collecting. This is the relocation of Art Seni Gallery, who have moved to Gateway Keramas in Mount Kara. Uh, they were formerly in Pavilion KL. Artsini was founded by Philip Wong and he curates this exhibition. This time he's brought 33 Malaysian artists of all backgrounds, young and old. Some of the names include Ng Fu Cheong, Suzli Ibrahim, Sivaraja Natarajam. And I'd also like to highlight one of my favourites in the list, Suk Tai. She's uh, of a Malacca heritage, I believe. She's got a very distinct style and there's a great storytelling quality to her artwork. If you like Frida Kahlo, for example, you'll enjoy her work. And the exhibition is on till the end of October, so please pay them a visit. To find out more, you can call 012-398-9608. That's 012-398-9608. And the address of the gallery is BG02 Gateway Kiaramas.
And finally, if you want something fun to do tonight itself, you can still catch the final performance of Empat Sekawan, a performance of music and short sketches based on the old Malaysian TV series going back to the 50s. It's been revived by director Nell Ng and coach Song Fan Sia. And it stars Beauty Tio, Janet Lee, the singer diva, Leo Juni, a vocalist who wins karaoke championships as often as he changes his underwear, <laughs> <laughs> and Sean Toh, their resident pop idol. What's the appeal with? You know, um, belting out songs from so far back. I mean, do we not have enough songs currently to actually take through a concert like this? Well, um, Beauty and I and the Reds work um, in this setting of singing old songs and retro classics because this is actually a, a great platform and a setting of music. The music is a background to string all our stories and our personalities together mm-hmm. in a show. In, in an intimate show where we could tell stories through um, these songs. This show is quite unique and different from a lot of other um, recitals and concerts, uh, music musical performances, mm. is that these there are four crazy people from extremely different backgrounds and trainings yeah. and personalities and working styles coming together with the help, with the great help of two, our director and vocal coach, help us string all these differences together and make make it work and, and make it fun. These four friends, bound by friendship, will tell stories and songs about growing up that will make you laugh, cry, grit your teeth and sing along with them. You can expect songs in different languages from English to Chinese to Italian, some nostalgic and some you've heard not too long ago. The show starts at 9pm tonight. Cover is 65 ringgit, including the first string. So Empat Skawan will be showing at Theatre Lounge Cafe. For bookings, you can call 03-6730-7982. It's in uh, Jalan Sri Hatamas. And finally, here's a quick mention. The BFM Weekend crew will be hosting our very first and very special coming out party on November 16th at the B in Publica, hosted by Sheila, with performances by all the wonderful voices that greet you over the airways on weekends, from Ali Johan to Richard Bradbury, Shifa Situ, Daryl Ong, Sherat Kutten, Angeline Tay, Audrey Raj, Adeline Chung, and more. It's a BFM office party. So there'll be performances too and lots of giveaways. But I think we've said too much. Do watch this space for more updates. So come out, come out wherever you are tonight and this coming week and let's have some good clean fun. Yay! Our resident couch potatoes, Christina Oro and Edwin Suman come out today to talk about some of the best movies to come out in recent years and some of their all-time favourites. So October 11th was coming out day, recognised by LGBTQ communities in the more developed nations, I would say. Um, and so while coming out is not such an enjoyable pastime here because, you know, panas lah, no aircon out there. Mm-hmm. I thought we could check out some of the best of this genre for this week. All right. Okay, I've got one just from last year. It's not exactly a coming out film. Uh, it's called Stranger by the Lake. It's a French drama thriller written and directed by Alain Giraudy. And um, it is a thriller of its own kind. It's it's just really chilling in its own way. Because lakes at night can be quite cold. Yes. Chilling. Why, why is it chilling. chilling? Is it chilling because there's a scary bunch of LGBTQs cucumbers. <laughs> the lake? There are a bunch of or cucumbers. Or somebody out to get them? Or it just happens that they happen to be gay, lesbian, transgender or whatever? Basically, what happens is this is a cruising spot where people go to sunbathe and to swim in the lake. Mm-hmm. And then... 
slowly, one by one, they keep getting murdered. Mm. Mm. And then you follow the central character and he likes this guy. He waits for this guy. He wants to get to know this guy. But this guy has always been with someone else. And then somehow something wonderful starts up and then he realizes... <gasps> Spoiler! Just Choose run. your own adventure. Is he A, the murderer? B, aware that the other guy is Let's the murderer? Let's not choose your own adventure. It's like page 12, <laughs> go to the chalet. Page 34, walk into the forest. The thing is with French films, or, you know, sort of moody films, not all French films, uh, every now and then you kind of mentally insert your own fart noise. <laughs> <laughs> Like, this this, this is, is a, a sign. Perfect moment for this, an this inappropriate is a sign fart of, sound. <laughs> like a stereotypical Australian grown <laughs> yes. person. I wonder where the Greek yeah. influence comes from. The fart. Okay. <laughs> All the breads and the the cream and the cucumbers that they have in their yogurt. This is this is Christina Oro, ladies and gentlemen. However, most listeners listening to this are going, "Yes, I do that too." Yes. <laughs> Most of you are Australian born and bred. <laughs> no, I think um, maybe it's a throwback to listening to, uh, watching people like Double Take who used to take old films and just voice over them and insert fart noises. <laughs> fart noises are fun. I'm glad you came out and said that. Yes, but that doesn't mean oh fart jokes are fun. <laughs> I think maybe what makes me nervous is extremely long pauses. <laughs> So you need to fill those pauses with some kind of sound. Okay, fine. Let's just watch this new one. It came out actually just in at the end of August. It's called Love is Strange and it stars... John Lithgow. And Alfred Molina. Two people I really, really enjoy watching. We are gathered here today with the purpose of uniting in matrimony George Esteban Garea, Benjamin Arthur Hall. Yes! Yes! yes. Your love. Your dedication, your commitment to each other are an example to be followed. Word got out to the Archdiocese. You've all known this whole time that Ben and I have been living together. The decision is effective immediately. Now, we invited you all here today because, well, your family. With my private lessons and Ben's pension, we need a place to stay. Uncle Ben. Uh. My friend is here. We need to work on a school presentation, and there's nowhere else for us to. Oh. That's so gay. He doesn't mean homosexual, Uncle Ben. He just means stupid. Hey, can I have some private time, please? When you live with people, you know them better than you care to. So Love is Strange has been given an R rating in America, which is very odd because R ratings are usually saved for... Explicit. Explicit things. And this, is, this is just a, a simple story about two people who've had to live their lives and there's really no sex, no graphic, no violence, no nothing, but mm. was given an R rating, which was uh, a bit because strange. Would it have been because they weren't just, uh, as, is, as in the subject matter of the film, where everybody in the community was kind of okay with them until they actually sealed the deal with a proper marriage. Yeah. So is that why they... No, they rated it R. They didn't give a proper reason except for that. The, you know, the American board just gave them an R rating. So mm. the producers and the distributors were wondering how they were going to distribute the movie because it's a, a simple movie about two over 60-year-old men mm. uh, who've had to deal with the way their marriage played. Was accepted. Was oh. accepted in this movie. But you know, there's no sex in it. There's no nothing in mm. it. And it got an R rating. But it is one of the most 
beautiful films you'll probably get to watch this year. Mm. Yeah, I mean, John Lithgow and Alfred Molina. And then you have Marissa Tomei, come on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She's just brilliant. So underrated, that girl. Well, not that woman. No, no, cousin, no cousin Vinny anymore. She's now <laughs> Auntie Vinny, I guess. <laughs> but these are not exactly coming out films. Do you remember Well, any? I don't... The thing is with coming out, we take it at face value what coming out is. For me, coming out is not coming out. Mm. It's also about accepting and... And it's kind of the fallout of it's a, what, what a happens fallout. after. Because you're not yeah. just coming out to your family, say, but your community, sometimes to friends who may not even have been yeah. aware. Or even if they were aware now have to adjust and somehow yeah. see you differently or allow see you their differently. friends And also coming out for me is a very personal thing. It's not just about coming out, uh, uh, like in this case, sexually, but it's not about that. It's about you. Like that movie I was talking to you earlier about, you know, the Richard E. Grant short film called The Man Who Married Himself. Mm-hmm. It's about this guy who goes on various dates looking for the perfect wife, the perfect girlfriend. He just keeps going on these dates and he doesn't meet the right woman. Mm-hmm. So one day he comes to this self-realization oh, I know what I'm going to do now. So you see him going to the church and talking to the priest and then he goes, I would like you to perform a marriage. And he goes, who are you marrying? Myself. Mm-hmm. So he ends up marrying himself because he realizes the only person for now that he, he can be with is himself. And he's got to learn how to deal with that first mm. because of you know how his little idiosyncrasies about how no woman is right for him. Yeah. So for me, coming out is that kind of thing, to kind of accept that first mm-hmm. and then we'll see things like this love is strange where two men who had lived together for over 40 years of their lives finally when they're allowed to in their state to get married they get married but then everything else says like with alfred's character because of that marriage and he used to teach in church the church tells him he no longer can you can no yeah, longer work no longer here welcome. And, mm-hmm. and you're no longer welcome and these are men who are in their 60s and this is how they earn a living and they were forced to, to live in separate homes after their marriage. So it's that, like you said, the acceptance of, of so many things. Have you accepted this? Because their marriage also in the movie starts to kind of crack. Isn't couple, that so yeah. sad that until they solemnized their relationship, everything seemed fine? Everything seemed fine. It just needed so one catalyst to come factors, in. Yeah. You know, and uh, what distresses me the most as a third party, because I cannot possibly imagine put myself into the shoes of somebody who has to struggle with the idea of coming out or even their own sexuality, which they may or may not quite know yet what they believe in or who they Mm. feel they are. But to have to compromise or to a certain extent accept that your life is kind of under the scrutiny of somebody else. Or subject to discrimination. Yes, or having to play a little game to kind of to keep maintain, the, yeah, yeah, the to keep maintain appearances. And uh, mm. if you are not really certain of how you believe about certain things, how do you deal with other people's influences over you? Uh, how do you make a stand for yourself? Yeah. Well, yeah. this next film is a little bit like that. A little girl uh, coping with moving to a brand new neighborhood. Mm. And she decides to completely change her look and she looks like a boy. She does it to catch the attention of the leader of the pack in the new neighborhood, which is a girl. Oh, tomboy. Yes. Uh, this one I want to watch. This is from 2000, I 2012. Huh? I got shivers you got shivers watching that. Because it's like boys don't cry, but without the boxing. And really, it's <laughs> and quite a young, little boy. Young, yeah. But I'm just amazed at how they find actors that young who are able to carry it off, whether they're aware of what they're really doing or not. I'm sure they are. I mean, the looks in... 
in the actors' eyes. No, but you know the Europeans are really good at things like this. Do they groom their actors from like birth? Because there've been quite a few movies in the last five years where they they and they're all these little coming out stories that they're making. In, in there's one called the the Texas something also about this boy who lives with his mother who also falls in love with the boy next door, and then a man comes from nowhere, and he also falls in love with a man. And it's all about this little boy and about his coming out stories. And they're all these, like, Scandinavians. And, and you know, where do they find these child these actors? These children that ha- seem to have that look in their eye yes, that they know what, what they're acting, what they're expressing. It's beautiful. It's it's so beautiful. And they don't have a lot of dialogue, but they just yeah. speak so much with just that look on their faces, you know. It might be a cross between children who kind of just know how to perform, and children who really, you know, you could say they've been born with old souls or something like that, but they just know they just what's know. going. There's something solemn about. Yeah, them. kudos to the producer and director for for finding Doing these wonderful young fantastic actors. Fantastic casting. You know, the premise of the trailer, which is basically who you think is a boy trying to fit in, actually, uh, and then uh, there's a little moment where you realize, oops, the game is up, and he's given himself away. It's actually a girl. Yeah. Uh, that looks very interesting. Very yep, interesting. it's called Tomboy and it's by writer-director Celine Siama. It seems so beautiful. I mean, this little boy moves into a new neighbourhood. He sees some children playing there. He sees this girl. He falls in love. They become friends. Like you said, then suddenly you realise that's not a boy, it's a girl. And he still has to keep yes. his his secret because he's playing football with the other boys and going swimming by the lake with the other boys. And, yes. and his sister, he has a sister who who's curious and wonders what he is doing. and Probably the parents, I think, not realising until a little way into the movie that something's yeah. up. Love, I love. Mm. Well, you know, there's a movie which is just the opposite of that. Mm-hmm. Two straight girls playing lesbians in blue is the warmest colour. It's not Leah There's Sidhu. also a TV show now called Faking It. And these two girls are... Are, are, these two, are they the two girls? Yeah, these two girls are... Straight girls in high school faking oh. so that they can be popular in school. Isn't they, that funny? Isn't that funny? They, yeah. they isn't it funny that now, you know, like amidst all the fear of not being accepted, it's cool to be gay? Because there's something, there's something, oh, there's always been something cool about um, counterculture. For example, punks are now and so the hippies like, and the, not even scary in the least. And real punks, of course. They were, they're just more like a fashion statement. Real punks, so to speak, are thugs, you know, right? So <laughs> Thugs is a counterculture? No, what thugs I mean Thugs are is, just thugs. What I mean is punks that were considered thugs in those days were not actually thugs. They were just punks. kids yeah, expressing kids themselves. Yeah, kids expressing themselves. All the goths. You know, the goths, your emo culture. The emo culture. And now, like we mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, the, the hipster culture. Mm-hmm. It, it's all that... That, all of that. Well, There's such a uh, more sedate version of very counterculture. Sedate. Everyone has a mustache <laughs> and a beard. There's a movie actually, uh, I think it's called GBF, Gay Best Friend. Right. So like this guy comes out and he says he's gay and the next thing you know, all the popular girls are like eyeing him to be the <laughs> GBF. Explain this to me again. How will being the first out kid in school make you instantly popular? It's simple. The hottest new trend sweeping schools worldwide is the GBF. It stands for... I know what it stands for. Gay best friend. My future GBF is just waiting to come out of the closet and tell me how fierce I am. And pretty soon, all three prom queen frontrunners will be battling it out for my attention. Boom! Are my arms looking Michelle Obama-toned or Madonna scary? 
Don't you ever think it'd be kind of neat to meet like a real live gay? Fawcett's the obvious prom queen frontrunner, and she'll be looking for an edge. Later, later. Why not send out a mass text and be done with it? Kenner, you cannot come out via text. All I wanna get is... I guess I am gay. I'm gay, I guess. <gasps> Our very own homosexual! <laughs> you don't even sound like the ones on Bravo. We can totally gay you over. Renzies. Ah, oh, fug in the good way. Seems that many of you girls are treating Tam as more of a prize to be won than an actual person. Maybe everyone secretly wants a GBF. <laughs> yeah. Well, talking about uh, faking it, I've oh. seen a French film start starring Daniel Auteuil. I think his Auteuil. name is. Otoi <laughs> and Otoi or something like that. And Was he half Australian? And Gerard Depardieu where um Gerard plays his boss. Yeah, Daniel plays this sort of meek employee who kind of catches wind of the idea that he's gonna be sacked. So because the company is the way it is, he tries oh, to the quota. Set, and it's called the closet. It's called the closet. He tries to yes, the <laughs> Yes. He tries to, to, to be he, part of the quota he, so that the the gay quota so I that suppose, they can't what it is. sack him. Yeah. So he uses that. He pretends to be gay. And he doesn't just pretend to be gay. He doesn't come out. He gets his son, I think, to Photoshop his face onto like some really garang looking <laughs> blue oyster character from Police Academy with the uh, buttless chaps and, you know, bondage gear. And uh, Gerard Depardieu, who is his um, normally slightly bigoted boss. boss, now has to play nice. <laughs> Francois is having a tough year. His wife divorced him. His son ignores him, and his company wants him out of the picture. Just when he thought all hope was lost, a friend offered to start a rumor that could save his job and save his life. Now, he's about to come out of the closet he never went into. He hasn't changed a bit, but everyone is looking at him in a whole new way. The only question is, how long can he keep it up? From the writer of La Cache aux Folles and the director of The Dinner Game, Danielle Hautoy, Gerard Depardieu, and Michel Larocque, in a comedy that proves Perception <coughs> is everything. The closet. And then eventually along the way, he kind of reveals his own latent homosexuality, which is also another interesting thing, thing something that, was, that came up with um, American Beauty, where the boy who falls in love with the girl ends up actually having a crush on the girl's father. So, mm. like but no, going back father. to the closet, at the end of it, the entire company becomes a little bit more open, a bit more accepting of 
Mm. Um, and which is what's hap- happening in a lot of the global companies in the world. Uh, corporate ethics kind of have a very all-inclusive... You know, as it should be. As I don't see how be. your sexuality has any bearing on your performance uh, at work. Uh, here, unless you're in a certain kind of industry. <laughs> and then, of course, there's that movie where nobody came out, but the bromance happened anyway. Brokeback Mountain. What bromance? <laughs> <laughs> they were bros. Coming out. No, bros. That was a going yeah, out. <laughs> that was that was a going out, coming home story. Well, that was just you know that's the Hollywood version of of a soppy love story. But you have other love, other lovely stories like this, uh, like our the Broken Hearts Club is one of my favorite movies. Mm. Um, story about the a bunch of, of friends. Us. The Sum of Us, which Russell is Crow. Russell Crowe, yeah, Russell Crowe and Jack Thompson. You know, there's a lot of movies to watch, and it's not necessary. I mean, yes, the main characters may be may be homosexual, but that's not what is the the plots or the themes of the stories. It's just about these people, and it just happens. You have some really good movies out there. I mean, it's hard for us to get it here uh, unless you go to your friendly neighborhood shop that um, <clears throat> shares DVDs and things. <laughs> Library. Library, mm-hmm. yes, library. <laughs> yeah, it's by donation. Eight or ringgit by donation of, movie. of 8 ringgit to 15 ringgit. <laughs> to, support the, to support the cause. To maintain the library. To punya. maintain the library. Yeah, purple, because some of them purple are blue disc ring. or gold disc, if you get what we're saying. <laughs> they say the eyes are the windows to the soul. Now, if you're coming out to play or simply just coming out, coming out, dramatic eyes would be something you'll need to work on. And our special guest for this week's Beauty Hacks is Fluffy, erstwhile glam rock chick turned beauty junkie with the lowdown on lavish lashes. I'm Maya Tan on a Sunday Kind of Love, BFM 89.9. And we're back with a Sunday kind of love, the coming out episode. I'm Maya Tan. Now, whether you're stepping out in style or coming out with a vengeance, it doesn't hurt to look your best. Here's erstwhile glam rock chick turned beauty reviewer, Fluffy, with the lowdown on lavish lashes. everyone, my name is Fluffy and it's no secret, I love me some makeup. Now one of my favourite things to play with is mascara and there's nothing like having long lashes to back to make you feel pretty and feminine and alluring. Now there are several looks you're going to want for different kinds of days but my policy is that you want a good mascara that you can tone up or tone down and if you're like me and you've got straight and short Asian eyelashes, you'll want something that lengthens, adds volume and gives you a bit of a curl. Now right off the bat, just a few hacks. Number one, anything with fibre in it scares me. You know, that's because they tend to get in your eye and accumulate without you knowing over time. And you really don't want to end up at the GP or the optometrist having mascara fibre removed from your eyes with a cotton swab. Trust me, I've been there. It's painful. Number two, if you've got straight Asian eyelashes like me, prep really helps. Even the best curling mascara will not do you justice. So if you like, you can use a primer for your lashes. Max Prep and Primer is a pretty good basic one. It keeps your eyelashes nourished and provides a coat so that when you apply your mascara, it goes on better and adds volume. So you spend less time bulking up because there's already a foundation for you to work with. 
Number three, a lash curler is great. If you're going to be doing your own, I suggest not using the battery-operated heated ones because, again, they're scary, aren't they? Don't take chances with your eyes. And try Shu Uemura's eyelash curler. It's got a silicone pad that you can replace and it's ergonomically designed to make curling the shortest Asian lashes a cinch. It costs quite a bit at RM65, but technically, you only need one for a long time, especially if you look after it. And number four, you should always dispose of your mascara regardless of whether you've finished it or not about three months after opening because mascara does have the ability to grow bacteria. It's got a life of its own. So just to protect your eyes, never try mascara on at the store if you can help it. And number five, always make sure you remove every trace of mascara before going to bed. This is to prevent crumbly bits of mascara from getting into your eye when you forget and give your eye a big rub. Again, protect your eyes because they're valuable, aren't they? Aren't they? And now we're ready to test drive some mascara. So for me, the most important things when it comes to mascara is the effect, the texture and how long it takes for me to bulk up my feeble lashes. Damn you, Asian eyelashes! First on the list, Maybelline's Volume Express Big Eyes. This one's got a dual brush, a tapered brush for upper lashes and a slim brush for your lower lashes. So you can open up those eyes and say hello. Now one thing that struck me immediately, the texture seemed rather thick and after a few strokes started to visibly clump. It does coat your lashes quite thickly and so you need very little. It's also very waterproof and lasted a good 16 hours. At RM4590 you don't have to think too long or too hard but the clumping leads me to think that, you know, it's not going to last you very long. Verdict, 5 out of 10. Next, I tried Revlon's Bold Laka Length and Volume Mascara. Now, this one glided on really easily. The brush and texture is pretty standard, but what I loved about it was that after a few strokes, I did have longer, more visible lashes, even for little old eyelash challenged me. It's not dramatic, but for daily wear, time-saving, and priced at RM3490, I'd say it's a pretty good one to have in your handbag. Verdict, 7 out of 10. Now, just as an aside, if you go into Sephora, you can look out for their mascara kits, where you get a good pack of about eight different mascaras to try try out for a great price and you can see what suits you best before you get the full sized uh, you can also get the mini sized benefit their real mascara at 40 ringgit for touch-ups to keep in your handbag it's not a half bad mascara as well and it's got a ring of short bristles at the end of the wand for lower lashes or the heart to get two corners of your eye now if you want to splurge on something do try Lancome's Hypno Star Mascara to give you that luxurious pampered feeling when you're applying it the texture is silky and it's supposed to have a black diamond effect which gives you a nice glossy finish it's touted for giving you that fake lash look as well and I found well for me it really gives you a full look when you're done the brush has two sides a flat one which helps build intense volume and a flared end that helps comb through the lashes to give you that Kardashian wow factor now, because it's so smooth when you first buy it, it'll take some time to bulk up. So remember your primer and you can rely on it to stay smooth and smudge proof throughout the day. At 118 ringgit, it's a bit of a splurge, but hey baby, I bet you're worth it. Verdict, 9 out of 10. Now, if you've got long eyelashes to begin with, then you're going to love Dior's iconic Dior Show Mascara. This is a cult favourite backstage at runway shows. Its signature feature is a glossy, long-lasting mascara that comes with an XXL brush that covers a lot of ground with just one swish of the wand, perfect for shows and quick touch-ups. Now, maybe in those early morning moments when he's gone to the bathroom and you want him to think that you woke up this way, it could come in handy. The downside is that the XXL brush doesn't work so well with my Asian XXS eyes, but if you're wide-eyed and doughy, hey... 
I'm happy for you. It costs about 130 ringgit. Knock yourself out. Verdict: eight out of ten. Last but not least, another luxe product is Givenchy's 4-in-1 Noir Couture Mascara with a curvy wavy brush. Not only does it claim to lengthen, add volume and curl your lashes, it's built with a lash booster that provides nutrition, revitalization, fortification and protection. Four times the luxe, four times the satisfaction and priced at 123 ringgit, I'd say this is a satisfying buy. Verdict 9 out of 10. Now, Urban Decay's just launched their biggest, baddest, blackest mascara ever. It's called Perversion. So all you goth fans and any girl who needs just a tad bit more drama, really, should just check it out at Sephora. They've also got a promotion running while stocks last, where you can get the full-size mascara with a deluxe sample size primer for only 85 ringgit. I haven't checked this one out, but if you do, do drop me a line at sundaykindoflove at bfm.my. And that's it from me on Lavish Lashes this time around. This is Fluffy, Makeup Junkie, signing out on a Sunday Kind of Love. We've come to the end of A Sunday Kind of Love with me, Maya Tan, Tasha Fusil, our resident couch potatoes, Christina Oro and Edwin Sumun, and our debuting beauty reviewer slash makeup junkie, Fluffy. I'm going to leave you with Come Alive by Chromio, featuring Toro Imwa. You've been listening to A Sunday Kind of Love. We hope you've enjoyed coming out to play with us today. BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.